Hmm. Just connecting to I think it's connected now. Who's iPhone? Speak. No, it's good. That's, hey, that's me. It's Ronnie. Am I on the uh, right there we go. There hey, we go. Hey, Ronnie. How's it going? <laughs> What's going on, guys? Yeah. How's it going? Hey, I got the camera off because I've got a I've got a, a COVID nineteen beard going on. It's all good. I <laughs> <laughs> can't see you. That's awesome. I'm renaming you, Ronnie Raymond. Put a mask on, Ronnie. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, guys? Nice to see all you guys. Good to see hey. you. Hey. Hi. It's been nice years, to Ronnie. It's, see you. It's been years. <laughs> I know it has. I know it has. How many right, people we see. got on? Um, whew, one, two, three, four, five, 11, six, seven, eight, 10, 11, oh, yeah, 11, 11 people. Yep. It's a nice. Oh my God. Listen, all this time, Jordan, you've been talking all this time. And uh -huh. I was like, yeah, it's been years. It's been years. I didn't even recognize you. <laughs> I'm looking at you right now. You're a grown man now. Holy yeah. God. It's, it's been a long time. Yeah. It's been man. a long time. <laughs> recognize you. Nice to see you, brother. Nice. Nice to see you too. Um, well, yeah, let's, let's get started. Um, First of all, you know, uh, we want to do this. We want to uh, upload this uh, up to YouTube. Um, we know Great Life Studios is doing something like this, but they're more focusing on like the doctrine side of things. Um, but I see we have like a plethora of uh, former members here and also family members who have been affected by, you know, the activities of this cult. So basically we, we want to give like a different point of view of not just – I mean, some doctrine-based, but also how this cult has affected our lives as former members and also, you know, family members alike as well. So, um, yeah, just, I mean, if everyone wants to introduce themselves, I mean, I'm, I, mean I'll, I guess I'll start. Uh, <laughs> my name is Jordan. Uh, you guys, uh, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if you guys see my videos or, um, but you guys know my story. I was a member for 15 years. I've been out for about... Um, a year and a half and uh now i'm living a happy life you know out of this cult you know going to school and you know just just living my life with you know with my wife and my son thankfully they're out as well so uh that that's pretty much a brief explanation that i can give about myself uh, <laughs> um let's see who's next michelle you want to go sure hi my name is michelle cologne hi, <laughs> congratulations <laughs> So I was in back in 2009 and was kicked out in 2011, uh, sued by the church twice for defamation for the examining site. I think maybe some of you are aware of the story already. Um, and as a result, uh, my uh, husband at the time divorced me uh, because the cult put pressure on him, convinced him I was the devil, etc. So he divorced me. They married him off to someone else who needed her citizenship, and I haven't heard from him since 2011. Um, the two court cases that the cult had against me for defamation were both dismissed ultimately after three years of litigation. And now um, I'm in litigation with them. Uh, they're two pending cases. So uh, since 2011 till now, I've been in litigation with them all this time pretty much. Um, that's about it. Nice. Uh, next, uh, Kelsey. Yeah. So I, uh, my name is Kelsey. I was a member, uh, of the group for 
10 years from 2007 to 2017. Mm -hmm. Um, I left two years ago and like, like you said, Jordan, living, living life and, um, doing what I want to (laughs) do without having to ask permission. Yeah. Uh, let's see who else. Um, Ronnie. (laughs) So I was in the church. My name is Ron. Of course. Um, I was in the church from, 99, 1999 to 2011. It was 11. Yeah. Mid 11. So I got baptized in the church in 99. My sister Tammy was going. She was uh, super excited about hearing about the mother. She kept calling me. I used to call. I'm going quick over this. so I don't take too much time. Go ahead. So I, I used to call her church lady because I thought she was a fanatic with this church. So I finally went, got baptized. Um, and everyone knows my story. I went to Korea three times and all that jazz. Um, but anyway, since being out, I did leave in 2011 because the church was doing some drastic changes. They had uh, structured youth groups at the time, and the youth groups were pretty militant. They were getting real, real militant. Um, I was pretty laid back in the church. At least I think I was, wasn't I, Jordan? I thought, I thought uh, I was kind of laid back. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. Compared, compared to the, the strip yeah, c- compared, yeah, compared to, we have pool parties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Diane Sims. Diane yeah. Sims. That's right. Um, so I ended up mainly, mainly I got out because, I'm sorry, what was that? It's, oh, go ahead. You're good. Oh, okay. Uh, mainly I got out because I, I just had a, uh, a disagreement with Pastor John. I guess I'll say it briefly like that. Um, thought his sermons were a little bit um, harsh and members were coming to tell me about it and they were afraid to go to Pastor John. So I finally said, all right, well, I'll talk to him. I said, you know, um, told him about his sermons. If he was okay, I asked, you know, his sermons are kind of negative. So after that, he called me in the office the next day and he said, oh, missionary, I'm going to make you a deacon now. So I was like, that's fine. Uh, Pastor, I said, I'm not, it's not, it's not about the titles for me. It never was. Um, so after that, I just took a break for a week or two. I just, I saw that as a power play, like in a, in a government structure or something, something a little corrupt. So ended up taking a break and that's when I found out about, uh, the false mother in Korea and all that just started doing research. So nice. been out ever since happy to be out and happy that you guys are out too. Nice. Nice, Ronnie. Um, Isabella. My name is Isabella. I was in the Royal Mission Society Church of God from 2010 till 2016. So I've been out for four years. Um, I was a group leader there in Las Vegas, and I was in Riverside for a little in Seattle. Uh, but I left not because I was researching the church, but I just started seeing lies and contradictions in the church, and I couldn't get a straight answer when I would question it. So I decided to leave. And since I've left, I felt, I feel a lot happier. I don't have anxiety anymore. I don't feel scared. And I feel like I am finally living my life how I want to live it. Nice. Beautiful. Uh, let's see who else. Um, Heather, you're going to go last since you're going to share your okay. testimony. <laughs> um, let's see. Chelsea. Chelsea, you got your... Uh, yeah, I'm I know here. You're, you're, you, you recently so. left, so... <laughs> I'm Chelsea. Um, so I was a former member from 2018 on and off till about uh, two days ago. Um, yeah, oh, I wow. finally blocked. Congratulations! Finally blocked the woman who was like stalking me to come to Bible study. Um, and yeah, that's about it. <laughs> nice. Um, 
Josue, give a little. I mean, uh, so um, I'm not a member. Uh, this this actually has affected a friendship I had a long time ago with a buddy of mine named Renzo. Um, invited to his house, him and his mom bombarded me with videos, and um, after maybe one or two talks, trying to chop it up, he just forced it, and I said, "Look, we're gonna have to go our own ways." Um, and then recently, my wife got, my wife gets approached three to four times when she goes off on Saturdays to Target or Walmart, and I'm just like, "Well, let me go ahead and and, and use my uh." microphone and whatnot to give people who are former members a voice to uh speak against the church and, and the things they've done nice nice all right now to our uh to our first star of the show heather <laughs> first uh coming out sharing her testimony she she has uh she's she's shared um a lot with me personally you know, about what she's gone through so yeah take the mic Hey guys, my name's Heather Ledesma. Um, I was baptized in 2010 um, in San Diego, the main branch in San Diego. Um, my older brother, he was in the Navy, so he actually was preached to. And um, I was actually looking for a church, and um, he preached to me. I came, and um, at first I wasn't accepting. Um, but little by little, once I did kind of more Bible studies, um, then I met um, a missionary there. And um, just, I'm going to skip over a lot because we're focusing more on relationships. So um, when I first was baptized, um, I was already planning on moving back home to Fresno, um, which is about six hours, seven hours um, towards like Bakersfield area. And um, I was already planning on moving. I had boxes packed. I was like ready to go. I had an apartment picked out. And uh, the missionary, uh, she actually begged me not to move. Um, I was trying to get out of a bad relationship because of uh, physical abuse, emotional abuse, and uh, just kind of unfaithfulness. So I already made up my mind. I already actually had an apartment picked out with my mom and I gave her the deposit and everything was good to go. And then um, she showed up with my brother and they were just really forceful in just telling me to just stay, not move. There wasn't a church there at the time in Fresno. So um, I was really worried because I didn't want to flake out on my mom because, you know, my mom also was depending on me. Uh, but eventually it took maybe a couple hours and she convinced me not to move even though that my relationship was just not a good relationship at all, um, emotionally and physically and everything like that. Uh, but I decided to just uh, stay and she convinced me that, you know, what if he's a member? What if he's, you know, a brother? Uh, so that kind of made me feel guilty. I didn't want him to lose out on his salvation. So I ended up staying and I ended up just unpacking my things and flaking on my mom and apologizing. And um, eventually he came to study and uh, he actually didn't believe even though he studied, but uh, the missionary there actually told him to just get baptized for my sake, even though he didn't believe. So you know, he got baptized, even though he didn't believe, and even though um, he wasn't really into the doctrine, uh, he got baptized for my sake, and 
Um, later on, maybe a couple years in, we just were not doing well. Uh, still nothing changed. Uh, so I actually had to ask permission to um, the leadership, to my missionary, to leave him. And um, permission was granted. And so um, she found me a place, the missionary found me a place to stay with um, a sister. And she was a single mom. Um, so we we were roommates. And then um, actually they, she was really involved with my personal life, with, um, you know, getting child support, with, you know, setting up everything. But um, now when I look back, I just feel like, um, they wanted me to remain in that relationship because he was military and um, he was making a lot of money. And I, in my experience and from what I feel, um, I wonder, you know, maybe if that was the reason why, because I wasn't making money. Um, it was just mostly he was giving me the ties to um, give to the church at the time. But um, eventually, you know, um, the missionary, she kind of walked me through the process and made sure I got child support and even went as far as, you know, telling me to contact his command to make sure that I got everything I needed. Um, so she was really into my personal life, um, I noticed. And eventually we ended up divorcing. And maybe a year later, maybe two um, she introduced me to someone. Uh, she sat me down and asked me what I thought about this brother, kind of pointing to him from afar. And I told her that I didn't find him attractive at all um, and that I'm not interested. And so this was while we were in the sanctuary. Nobody was really in the sanctuary. It was like in between services. Um, and she rebuked me and she told me that I'm shallow and that um, I don't deserve a good husband and that um, I'm a sinner and that, you know, I don't deserve to be treated right. And if I did have a good husband, then I would probably fall away from the truth. And uh, she just made me feel, uh, I don't know what the proper word is, but I just felt really guilty and I felt like I had to obey my leader and I had to, you know, follow what she was instructing me. So eventually I did end up marrying this brother. Um, I did ask though to make sure that he was in a leadership position because at the time I was a unit leader and she assured me that she would, he was on his way to be an assistant leader, assistant unit leader. And so when we got married, um, probably uh, a month later, he started missing service, and um, I just saw, like, he wasn't really um, active in the church as what it was made out to be, so um, later on, I kind of brought this up to my missionary, and I wasn't really um, happy in the marriage, and so I told her what was on my mind. I told her, you know, I'm not happy. This is what was told. And I don't feel like he's active. So um, I'm, I'm really looking into, you know, divorcing. I'm just not happy. And um, there's a little more personal things that went into it. Like he put, um, he brought bed bugs into our home. He just wasn't like someone who was um, a husband. He was just more like a roommate. I mean, I barely knew him. And so um, I got rebuked for saying that I wanted to divorce him. She kind of grabbed me by my elbow and um, 
pulled me into um, a study room and she just went hardcore, you know, rebuking me, just kind of like, you know, you're a sinner, you know, what do you, who do you think you are? Um, how dare you, you know, you took a promise between before father and mother, you know, so um, it was really hardcore rebuking that I've never really felt before between her and I. So um, I went home and, you know, I just felt at a loss. Like I didn't know what to do. I just, um, I don't know. I waited, I waited probably another month and I asked again, um, but I kind of didn't ask about a divorce. I just asked to separate him. I asked to move out. And I kind of use the bed bugs as a leverage, kind of saying, you know, he doesn't care about them. He keeps bringing them into my home. I have a child, you know, I don't want that in my home. So um, she finally gave me the okay to move out. And so later on, eventually, um, I was able to get permission. At this time, I moved um, to a different branch. I moved to Escondido branch. Um, so at this time I got permission from that leader to, um, move on with the divorce and this missionary at this new branch Escondido, he was constantly asking me, you know, um, about the divorce. He was like, are you, are you done with the divorce? Are you done? You know, let me know when you're done. Kind of, kind of rushing almost. And so, um, eventually I was done and then as soon as, as soon as I was done, he asked me if I was interested in this brother. And I said, no, I had a bad experience with marriage, you know, from my past relationship. And I don't want to do this again. And, um, I told him I'm not interested. And I actually, um, because he was kind of asking me again, I took that as an opportunity to tell him, you know, next time I want to choose who I want to marry. And um, still he insisted on the brother and he actually paired us up preaching. Um, and so it was really awkward. We had to preach together and I'm pretty sure he also was informed about me too. And it was just so awkward. And uh, we went preaching together. And then later after preaching, he asked, the leader asked me again, um, the missionary there, he asked me how I felt about him. I said, no, I don't. I'm not interested. And then I said, well, what about this brother? And this brother was actually my fruit. And he was someone that I actually knew because I worked with him. And um, eventually we ended up getting married and I'm still married with him. And um, even after I left, I mean, me and him left together and um, we're happily married. And that's that. And I don't want to take too much time, but I did want to, since we're talking about relationships, I wanted to mention my brother also. Um, my brother, so my last service was 2019. So it's still kind of fresh. Like this Passover is the first Passover I missed. Um, but my brother is still in. Um, and I was looking, I haven't heard from him in a year. I was looking for him. And I even asked um, some leaders in the church in Escondido to ask San Diego where he's at. And they told me they hadn't seen him for a while. And so I got worried. I was searching for him. Um, I posted him on missing persons in San Diego and um, I brought my mom down. My mom hasn't spoken to my brother since he was baptized. Like he just doesn't talk to my family at all. Um, I do every, I did every now and then um, being in the church, but my brother just 
he did it. And um, so eventually my family and I found him and he was homeless and he was living in a field. And I asked him, did anyone at the church know where you were? Did anyone know that you were homeless? And he said that a brother used to sneak him into the gym to shower. So that made me feel like, okay, then obviously this, this brother was a leader. He most likely knew that my brother was homeless, but he never, nobody felt to mention that to me. Nobody felt to contact me. I was specifically asking the church where he was. Nobody informed me. Um, so we ended up moving him into my mom's place. Long story short, he ended up moving back and he's back in, um, in San Diego and um, he's back in the field. And I actually have text messages to show that the pastor there told him to not come back because he's homeless. He needs to get back on his feet and then he will be able to return to the church. So, you know, that, that relationship um, is kind of, he knows, my brother knows that I'm not going. Um, he's once in a while does speak to me, but um, I did let him know, you know, that's not something that, um, you know, ask yourself, what would Jesus do, right? Like he was around the homeless, he was around the prostitutes, he was around the tax collectors. Um, if you just read the Bible, it shows you that God has compassion on everyone. God has compassion on the homeless. And I feel like it's just complete opposite. Like, why would you deny salvation because someone is homeless? And so that's just, um, I just wanted to keep my story a little short. Um, I'm just going to wrap it up. Um, uh, maybe later on, I'll make another video to kind of speak uh, more in detail. But um, in regards to relationship, that's kind of my experience in the World Mission Society Church of God. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. I mean, we can all agree here that, you know, characteristics like that, especially towards your brother and how they handled your uh, previous marriages, not a way that a, a regular church, you know, um, should handle, you know, something like that. Um, what are the rest of you guys' thoughts? I mean, and how many times you had to ask for permission? Yeah. I don't know how yeah. many times you mentioned that you had to ask for permission. Yeah, permission. <laughs> um, I've asked. I probably asked about three times, but in between there, I was counseled. I was rebuked. I was just, you know, basically ashamed for my feelings, even though I didn't even want the marriage in the first place. I told them straight up I didn't like him, and I was kind of made um, guilty. Heather, I got a quick, quick question, Jordan. If I can jump in real quick. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Did you just three? I have three quick points that I wanted to just point out. Did you say? Did you say you got married multiple times in the church? That they married you to multiple people, like more than one or just one? Um. So, so I would say twice, but the second one I made the decision on who it was. Okay, gotcha. So that's interesting. Let's let's uh, let's take note of that. That's pretty interesting because just to marry someone over and over like that, they never used to do that actually. And the other thing is they never um they didn't get involved. I don't know if you remember Jordan, but we didn't really get involved much in the early early days in personal lives as right. much as they do now. I mean, they're heavily heavily into personal lives. And the third point that I just wanted to make is um 
I remember, if you remember Jordan and a few, uh, the rest of you guys also, but um, in early days when we first started the church, it was like everyone was given a position and I never understood it. I just thought it was kind of a nice thing. Everyone could feel like they're doing a part. But yeah. even if it was like in charge, Jordan's in charge of the p picking up the rakes and so-and-so's in charge of picking up the shovels, things that didn't even need to have positions on them and separated, they would do that. And that's interesting that it just feels like they, they do the same thing now, but at a higher level, like giving them positions um, uh, to keep them, you know, in the church. I just thought that was interesting how many positions they handed out all the time now. Yeah, they do have a, they do have a way. Go ahead, go ahead, Jose. Go ahead. Yeah, so like two questions on that, because I, I found a lot of the things that, that you said and how they responded to be is totally radical. So does the church care about the state of the marriage as much as they care about, well, he's just a believer? No. No. <laughs> yeah. I think that's unanimous. <laughs> okay, okay. So um, the, next, the other thing was um, because it seemed like the church has a lot of selective listening. And um, is there such thing as restricted and unrestricted reporting? Um, when you share information, does it seem to leak out throughout the church? Or are there information the church ought not to share, but they still do it? Um, like if I confide in my missionary, are you saying, do they share outside Yeah. from the, yes, definitely. Oh, wow. 100%. We're told to, we're told to, I mean, even like a Saturday at the, after the evening service, when most people have gone is the, the leaders have like a, I don't know about you guys is, uh, Zions, but mine they met after everybody left and we had to talk about every single person what they did who didn't show up why didn't they show up um what was that's, so and so doing when they yeah. were seen talking to this person yeah we have to yeah. we have to snitch yeah, yeah it's, it's a huge <laughs> gossip session really oh that's so christ-like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i remember it was after the sabbath day it'd be like after everyone's gone like it was like 11 midnight sometimes and then all the group leaders would have to get together in a room and we'd have to tell, basically tell on our groups to the leaders there. Like, and if, if a, a group leader didn't say anything, they're like, why don't you say anything? What's going on with your group? Is your group perfect? Like, <laughs> so like, we're basically like encouraged to snitch on other people. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, at that point, you wouldn't even want to share information to anybody else. Right? right? No, no. You, you, you knew who did, who you could talk to and who you couldn't. You knew. Yeah. You know, that's kind of weird because um, back um, in the older ages for Catholics, that's what they use communion for in order for the priest or the Pope to know what's going on in their church and in their, you know, town. So it's weird. They talk so much about the Catholic Church, but they have their own way of doing exactly what the Catholic Church was doing. So yeah. I don't they, get it. They have a huge way of, you know, um excluding somebody from a group or um yeah like what isabella said and kelsey like you know we had those meetings you know a couple times a week you know <laughs> just a huge gossip session you know about what's going on with the members why so-and-so is not going preaching why so-and-so is not tithing why so-and-so is not attending you know so it's just and jordan didn't you have to count people's tithes oh yeah 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 i did I too <laughs> I I have yeah. a um I actually have a I'm gonna pull it up here, I have a spreadsheet I have an example of a of a spreadsheet that I was sent to by a missionary, um, let me pull it up really quick. I'm a screen share. I'm gonna try this out real quick. 
Spill the tea, spill the tea. I'm just, I'm just wing it. I'm a wing it. <laughs> Let's see. Can you guys? All right, hold on. It's loading. Can you yep. guys see that? Oh yeah. Yeah, there you go. Uh, let me try to zoom in a little bit. I'm actually able to zoom in myself too. Oh, nice. All right, so like, so we we had we so we had this spreadsheet to fill out, and then we had to make a PowerPoint file in the like basically in accordance with what we filled out here and basically it's attendance we have to mark down the october like this is october 2017 what was the result of who attended one or more times who attended 15 or more times and then who was in course one course two course three like the the five sermon books um who were the evangelists who were going preaching one to three times a month who were going eight plus times a month and then who was tithing so I had, to, I had to circle right. I had to mark down who was tithing and who wasn't tithing. How would I know? How would I know? Who, you, know? you don't unless they put their, number, their name on it. And then it's almost like, why would you want to know how much you're tithing? Exactly. And so I was, when I first got this, I was like, hold on. Am I supposed to look into the envelope? I asked one of the deacons who was a leader, a fellow leader. Um, I was like, all right, how am, I supposed to see, how, am I, how am I supposed to know and find out if they're tithing? He was like, oh, you just look in their envelopes. And I'm like, wait, wait, hold on, wait. I have to do what? <laughs> oh, you just got to look in your envelopes. I'm like, all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was so, so awkward. Josue, they do have envelopes with the member's name on them already, and they're on the wall, so that's how you know who's the who's. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, even, yeah. Even the babies have one. Yeah, the babies have one. Like, I'm talking, like, I'm not talking toddlers, but babies, like, you know, Newborns. like, nine-month-old babies. <laughs> They now, have, I remember, yeah. I, remember um, I, th- I think it was you actually who told me, uh, Kelsey, that they, they look at your occupation and so they kind of base your tithing on yeah. the yeah. job title you have. Yeah, because they know if you're like an accountant that you're going to have a higher tithe than some works at like, you know, Safeway. Like they, they know kind of how to tell who's giving their full amount rather than just half of their amount or a portion of it. Yeah. And also, if you're okay. consistently, you have to give it every, at least every two weeks. So if you're giving like, you know, consistently $200 every, every two weeks, and then one week you, you give 150, they know something's up. Mm. That happened with me and they made me do the tag study over again because they noticed that the amount of money I was giving went down. And I That's asked, insane. I was like, I did this study already. Why do I need to do it again? And they're like, well, you do a study twice, you may gain better understanding, whatever that means. And then I, you know, I kind of put it together. I'm like, okay, so this is because I gave less money. Got to make up. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, like the, the amount of control that goes into it. I mean, it just so I know that I also know that a lot of the mastermind manipulators when it comes to within the within the church or um, cult per se they tend to use um scripture uh, per se to kind of enforce it in you was there anything that was saved from the bible that would kind of make you feel okay i have to give more they they say because you're malachi if you don't if you're not tithing you're robbing god Yep. Yeah, they use and that you're verse not, in and you're not returning to it was in Malachi chapter I, I, chapter four chapter three yeah, um, yeah, yeah. verse seven mm-hmm. uh, through like twelve it talks about that if you if you don't tithe you're robbing God and you can also not return to God because they also teach there's only two ways to return to God one is through Passover and the other is through tithing so meaning if you don't tithe you will you you cannot go to heaven 
So, okay. So with that being said, just going off a little small little tangent, um, St. Corinthians talks about giving out of, out of a joyful heart. What do they say about that? And not they, being... they say that you have to have a joyful heart when you give. So oh, like, advice. for example, like, like they use the example that like, I can give you, I can give you $5 Josue and I can say, okay, here's my last $5. You know, this is like my last $5, but I guess you can have it. You don't want it. Right. Cause I, right. I kind of like through my tone, I kind of made like, I feel like a burden. Right. Or I can uh-huh. say, Oh no, Josue, I want you to have this $5. Like, you know, you're, you're such a good friend or something like that. You know, it depends mm. on how you word it and how you act when you give it. That's mm-hmm. what they're talking about. So when we tithe, if we tithe saying like, oh, you know, I have to give this money. I don't have this money to give, but I have to give this money because the church is saying it. Then um, then that's not having a cheerful mind. You need to say, hey, you, you need to you need to have a mind that I want to give this to God because God has done all these things for me. So I want to re- I want to give this to God in return. So um, well, that has, it has nothing to do with. <laughs> I mean, you still well, have to do it, but you, they're saying you basically have to be happy about doing it. <laughs> right. But I think just to expand a little bit, it says here let in St. Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So yeah, it's, it's completely under I, compulsion. It's yeah. completely in their tie study. They have that verse that they make us show people like, so, so but we, we that, emphasize not the compulsion. We emphasize the cheerful heart. Gotcha. Ronnie wants to say something real quick. Yeah, and and coming from just uh, just to go a little bit deeper with that because we have to understand the the like the function of a cult and function of mind control because when they when you go into this they teach you what love is they teach you what a cheerful heart is so everything that we thought about love we didn't truly mm. understand about love they had to show us what God's love meant so everything was kind of you got to understand the first thing that they do is they change your thinking. How you think about things was wrong. So it's very easy to start accepting things. Just like when, uh, you know, when I had learned about God's love is different than man's love. So I would think, you know, going to pick up a brother, giving him a ride, doing physical things. But they, you know, they, they would explain, no, that's a different kind of love. So when they get that kind of mind control, then it doesn't matter what they show anymore after that. You're, you're just following at that point. Okay. And that's the real issue. That's the real problem with it. That's a very, that's a very good point. Very mm-hmm. good point. To um, build on what Ronnie said, I remember when they told my teenage son that uh, this was the pastor, John Lee, that told him this, um, pulled him over to the side. When, and I was there. We were walking together towards the sanctuary. And um, he told my son that, that I was no longer his mother, that now I was his sister. Now that yeah. we in the church <laughs> yes, yes. Oh. Yeah. yeah and i've actually i've actually seen that been said to mothers with babies too like they'll like rebuke them saying like don't look at that baby like your child that's not your child that's your brother that's your sister you know and i was looking back at it now i'm like that's so surprising to so see weird. them Redes- yeah. <laughs> re- redesignating your family to you redesignating mm-hmm. yeah. mind control <laughs> It's also making it's making those people less important, right? That's right. right. That's right. Because they don't want you to like what they would say, like don't uh, make your baby your idol. Is what they were trying to say. Like don't put God. You have to put God before that baby. And, <laughs> or and the your, church and before physical, the baby. Your physical father and mother become less important. Uh, to to mm-hmm. just touch base again what Michelle was yeah. saying. That's that's so uh, that's so important. Because mm-hmm. then you don't have to follow them or listen to them anymore, and they're. Right. They're the ones who you should follow the most and listen to. They have your best interest. 
Right, and all your all of your friends who say anything negative about the church, that's Satan using them to try to take you away from the church. They basically redefine everyone in your life. And then, you know, the, the, this isn't the only cult that encourages their members to call the leader by father or mother. And yeah. that's to have you regress to that childhood mentality of, you know, you do what your parents tell you to do without questioning, right? Because that's what you do when you're a child. So they, they put you back in that mindset so that yep. you're easier to control. And Absolutely. I, I, think, I think it has a lot to do with like Korean nature, Korean culture too. Um, I don't know, like Kelsey, you you're familiar with Korean culture pretty much. Like, uh, I know, like in in their even like in the workspace, like in a workspace environment, they're um, they're really submissive to their to their leadership, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. You have to use. There's like a certain tense in the language that you have to use when addressing like a like a boss um, or some or higher up, um, as opposed to just like regular standard uh talk i mean standard talk there's like um how do i say like different levels like different words to say like um like for example like uh like ronnie you're older than me right so i wouldn't talk to you in the same tense that i would talk to jordan but in a workplace ronnie if you were the uh or say in the workplace if michelle you were my boss and you were higher up than ronnie then i would um talk to you with more respect than ronnie even though ronnie's probably older than you right like nim like when you called nim in korea yeah 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 with more respect or whatever huh Mm Oh, it's like Kelsey's having some difficulties. They're breaking up, Kelsey. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot no different worries. in the world. Can you hear me now? <laughs> <laughs> like a robot. <laughs> Is it still breaking up? All right, I can hear you. That was good. Sorry, guys. Oh, you can hear now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're good. Okay, I'll let you guys talk. <laughs> But I feel like it, they they put their their Korean culture a lot into the church. I don't know for for those of you former members, you can know you can see like um, for one example, I remember going to a wedding um, before when they used to have weddings inside the church. Um, instead of like kiss a bride, it was they bowed to each other, and I was like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> that Cecil? Were you talking about Cecil? <laughs> oh yeah. That's like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I thought that was so weird. It was just, but it was very evident that um, that Korean culture was was really input into the the church's culture. And I remember speaking to one deacon before, and he was like, "Yeah, like Korean culture is the closest culture that resembles heavenly culture." He told me yeah. that directly. Yeah. And I was like, I was kind of weirded out. Like, uh, um, okay, <laughs> all right. And I could just. For a quick minute and jump back to the parenting as the parent of a member. I was actually told I did not bring my member into this world. God the mother who did that. Needless oh, yeah. to, needless to say, that caused a major rift. We for a long time. And because the grandchildren, I kind of had to bow down and, and deal with that white elephant in the room. But it was needless to say, heartbreaking, heart-wrenching, whatever you want to call it. So that is just one episode that, that was the initial episode to tear us apart. The second one was when I was told that I was the mother and not the wife, and I had no business talking to my child. And 
as a result, again, we went through a period where we didn't speak. And I'm, after listening to this group, I can now attribute to where that came. So thank you for that. I know. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, you, you have these, I mean, I don't, I don't, of course, I don't want to be disrespectful, of course. I mean, um, but you have these, you know, um, Korean leaders who say, you know, just trying to tell grown people what to do, <laughs> you know, like we're, we're grown people and they're really trying to dictate, you know, every single aspect of your life. Um, and that includes relationships too. I mean, that includes who you talk to, um, you know, they encourage you to, you know, not make friends in the world. Um, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure you've all gone through that. You've all gone through that. I mean, being discouraged to hang out with friends and family. Now they've, they've changed it up a little bit um, with the damage control. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's really sad. It's really sad how they've broken up so many relationships and families. I think if I, if I was part of a church like, like this and they claim to have the truth, but they told me I'm restricted to hanging out with people only within the four walls of, of this church. And how, how am I supposed to, sh to share the good message? How am I able to build relationships and I guess spread the love of you know, mother God and, and, and father? I, th I think a lot of what they're doing is almost creating an impossible task. Um, it's, it's creating a, a chasm between me loving people and me just trying to perform in front of them. So let me talk to you about our belief. I, I don't care how you feel. And the moment we leave, I, I really don't care. Uh, I'm just going to walk off. Unless you want to join, then that's when I'll actually, um, I guess, express or exchange some feelings. Until then, I'm just cold. And I'm going to keep moving. And I think that's a horrible approach. I think that's unloving. I, that can even go as far as just being cold-hearted. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a conditional love. love. For sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, once you, once you stop going or once you start disagreeing or once you even start asking questions that make them uncomfortable, the way that they treat you completely changes. You know, that you're treated the best when you are submissive and you just do what they tell you to do without asking any questions. The last service I attended was uh, called is, is Doubt a Sign of Little Faith? Mm -hmm. And the missionary who gave the service, said, you know, those who have the, the greatest faith just blindly follow and don't ask any questions. And, you know, that was a good thing. Um, it made me re feel really, really uncomfortable. That reminds me one time, um, we didn't have a pastor in the Las Vegas church, but we're, he was going to come with us, and it was be my first time uh, seeing him. And the deaconess told me, like, when the pastor comes, that like, you have to obey everything he says without questioning. If he says to jump, you don't ask how high, you just jump. Military. <laughs> and, you yeah. to, and it, all, the people who obey without questioning anything, they would always be the ones that would get, like, promotions within the church, you know. But the people who questioned um, the leaders were always looked down upon or talked bad about. Yep. Um, I actually wasn't allowed to get any of the members' phone numbers when I started off there. So, like, I, yeah, I attended, like, 10 of their Bible studies, and I started, you know, getting into conversation with the other girls. And I would ask this one girl, like, oh, what's your phone number? If I ever 
questions, you know, I'll hit you up. Cause I didn't want my leader to be like my only friend at the church, you know? <laughs> so she would like rush over and like all the other girls would like turn silent and kind of just wait to hear what the leader had to say. And then the leader was always like, Oh, don't worry. Like I'll invite you and I'll message you and let you know like what's going on in our meetups. So it was really, it was weird. That's how it was instructed to as a group leader. Like they, I would uh, be told to not allow the members within my group to hang out. And like the only person that could hang out with them outside of church was me, but only if I was to have Bible studies with them. But they would tell me, don't let them like exchange numbers or hang out. And if you see it, correct them. <laughs> Crazy. Because, <laughs> yeah, they don't want them to so, do work. Start right. talking, right? Yeah. So let me. So let me let me explain it like this, just looking at it from the other side. And because sometimes we look at this and we go, that's crazy. How would we ever have fallen for that? How mm -hmm. would how did we ever get in that position to believe nonsense like that? So inside the church, what we would tell people, and it made sense to me when I was told it. So I repeated it like we all do, you know, that we all repeated things. That's all it was, yeah. um, is that don't give numbers away because if that person takes a number from someone who has weaker faith or even a member of the church, if that person in the church isn't trained to teach her and that's a precious soul, then if, you, if they exchange numbers, she might say something wrong about the truth or something and turn that person away. So when you hear that logic, you go, wow, that makes a lot of sense. That's a precious soul. We don't want to just, you know, uh, uh, carelessly take care of it. So that's the flip side of it. That's what we got to understand. That's what's being told inside the church. And that's powerful when you think about it. How do we break that? How do we help them break that and understand that that's, it, that's doesn't make any sense? That what, what they're doing is actually doing that, but it's for an opposite uh, effect. It's for an opposite thing they're looking for. Well, I think what they're trying to do is crowd control, right? It's like trying to prevent a group of people from revolting against the leader, right? Ultimately, so, yep, ultimately. Yeah. yeah, if one person finds something on the internet that is a big problem or something, they tell everybody because they have everybody's number, then now they have to do damage control with a bunch of people versus being able to control it um, and, and and keep it small you know it's easier to deal with one person having doubts than 10 or 20 of them who all get together for talking perhaps they have secret meetings on the side without the leadership you know that, that that's how they would lose members that's the only that's at the, at the end of the day i think that's the bottom line is how do we control everybody so that we um get the maximum uh return on our investment and lose the least amount of members possible and keep everybody in as long as possible and giving us as much as money as possible like, like that's it exactly that's the main that's the main their main goal and it's packaged the other way as if it's to save lives which is very odd no they're ruining lives all the time yeah yeah i have a question can you all hear me yeah. yeah yes we hear you yeah how are you supposed to preach to 7 billion people if you can't talk to certain people and you can't text people and you have to go through leaders and, uh, and you're not supposed to preach online? I don't, like, I don't understand any of it. Well, they, yeah, they, can once they, they can once they're trained, so to speak, or brainwashed. or That's when they yeah. can start preaching to anyone they want. Not, to the, not to the homeless or disabled, though. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, but they counted the seven billion. Because I, I need refreshing on that part. Yeah, they're they're like selective, but they want to preach to everybody. But nobody I know knows about this. Like it's not known, but uh, they want to they want to tell everybody, but then they don't. Like I'm I don't know. I'm confused. <laughs> I'm very confused by all of it. <laughs> <laughs> It's confusing. <laughs> yeah, it's really confusing. Who wants yeah. to take this one? I mean, I, I could tell you what I heard when because I, I had questions about that when I was having doubts. I said, you know, they're trying to save people. Why aren't they going, uh, being a nurse, why aren't they going to the hospital and trying to preach to the people who are like on their deathbeds to try to save them before they die? You know, if they have no other way. Um, and I wasn't really given a good answer. And then I thought about, well, what about the homeless people? Why aren't we trying to help them? And what the deaconess told me was like, you know, those people, if you preach to them, they're going to come to the church and they're basically going to take advantage uh, of the church and not really be here because they have faith, but just to be able to get whatever they can get from the church. Um, I know that um, I've heard from other like higher ups that in their ceremony book it says that people who are disabled are possessed by the devil ronnie i don't know if you could speak to that but um, well, which book was that in michelle the the, the ceremony book? book which one the ceremony book that's a book that only like really oh the ceremony book the ceremony yeah. book i don't know if i've seen that i'm not sure i can't speak on that because i don't know if i've seen that in that book i, I do know that the church does say um and it goes hand in hand with their one of their their subjects called the forgiveness of sins or the secret of the forgiveness of sins mm-hmm. or whatever, and they explain that the severity of someone's sin, you can yes. you can basically you can basically see the severity of someone's sin by their situation down here on earth. Yeah, if that makes that's sense. Yeah. So let's say if someone's disabled or um, they have some type of issues, physical issues, or they were born in a poor country or something like that, they would explain in a way that. Oh, it's because they did a more severe um, sin in heaven. <laughs> yeah. they, that's why mm-hmm. they're in that particular situation and, you know, um, certain circumstances that they have to go through. No, that's what I was told too. Um, we, we were supposed to, be, oh, we were preaching, I was preaching with the deacon and there was like a, a par, uh, apartment complex, but there was like a rail to get to the door, meaning that person was in a wheelchair. And then I was about to go there. He's like, don't, don't go there. He pulled me outside, outside. And then later on afterwards, I'm preaching. He's like, oh, the reason why I told you not to go there is because um, he said that he heard in Korea when he went there that uh, the people who are disabled or if they have like Down syndrome or if they have disabilities is because they sin greater in heaven. They're the intentional sinners. Oh, yeah. So he said we shouldn't preach to them. So if I can just share um, a quick passage on something that I just find like contradictory. In John 5, uh, Jesus heals a, a lame man. It says, by the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there was a pool called Bathsheba, in Hebrew, which has five colonnades. Within the place um, lay a large number of the sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting, to, uh, waiting for the moving of the waters. If you continue to go down, Jesus heals a man who is lame. So if Jesus confronts the layman, why isn't the church doing that very same thing? Well, the way that I was explained that, they were like, well, nowadays we're not like healing the physical blind or the physical lame, but like the spiritual blind by opening people's eyes to the mm-hmm. truth. And like, I, I can't remember what spiritual disabled meant, but um, that's <laughs> what was explained to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was explained to me the same way as well. I mean, yeah. 
they they take everything now in a more um they explain everything more in a more spiritual sense mm-hmm. by saying exactly that you know they're mm-hmm. spiritually blind they're spiritually lame so our mission is to spiritually heal them with the passover <laughs> that's that's, their oh, that's that's such a for me that's such a cop out yeah and that's just them trying to actually answer the question yeah i mean when you, whenever you can say well that's not what it really means because when you interpret it spiritually it means this they can basically just make it up as they go along it could mean anything yeah, I yeah. feel like with any anything that they can't answer, like, oh, that's spiritual. Just like the train to China. Yeah. Oh, that was spiritual. Like, just everything spiritual. <laughs> yeah, they, they do that a lot. They, that's a huge, that's a pretty common excuse they use, spiritual. Why is, spiritual. That, why is, why is that important for your salvation? Yeah. That was the big thing. Why is that important <laughs> to know? Why is that important to know? Does it have anything to do oh with your salvation? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> why is that important <laughs> to know? They would say no, that too well. <laughs> That reminds me of um, a meeting that I had with the pastor and my husband at the time when, you know, this is when I didn't want to go, but I was going because my husband said, if you do the studies all over again with the pastor and you go to one service on the Saturday, then I'll stay uh, in the house. Otherwise, he was going to leave. So I was there for one of the studies and uh, they let my husband study with me and the pastor only this time. And I asked the pastor, at the end, I said, you know, I want to talk about what the Bible says about marriage and divorce. And he would not even approach the subject with me. And I'm like, well, why won't you tell me what the Bible says about marriage and divorce? And the pastor got really mad. And he was like, you know what? What difference does it make if you're both going to die? Like, what difference does it make if you stay married or you get divorced if you're both going to die? So I'm just like... Okay, but that's not what I asked you. I asked you, what does the Bible say about marriage and divorce? And you're refusing to answer the question. You know, like, so I, it was insane. They, they pick well, and choose what's important. You know, it's just. Yeah, they pick Michelle, and choose. Were you asking him that because you couldn't read the Bible on your own? Or did you already know what the Bible said about well, marriage I, and divorce? I knew what the Bible said. Um, but I felt like the church wasn't, I I don't want to say focused, but they weren't taking that into consideration when they were causing problems between my husband and I, you know, or when they were like encouraging other people to divorce and to separate. And, you know, the the Bible says that the non-believer is sanctified by the believing spouse, right? Mm -hmm. So what difference does it make that I don't want to come here anymore? If my husband is here and he's, you know, all for it, then why are they so concerned about, you know, him staying with me or not staying with me, if, the, if that's what the Bible says? So I felt like they weren't, um, they weren't really following the Bible the way they claimed to. So that's why I was asking the pastor about it. Um, and he wouldn't even, he wouldn't discuss the, the, the topic with me. Because I said to him, I said, you know, you guys focus a lot on the Passover being the covenant that we have with God. Well, what about marriage as a covenant also? And again, right. well, what difference does it make if you're both going to die? And I was just like, okay, never mind. Like, it just wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> going to be there. And for a church that says, you know, that we follow the Bible exactly to, like you said, pick and shout. I'll type in the comments. We no, we hear you. you. We hear you now. Oh, we hear you now. Hear you now. <laughs> 
The thing is, I stopped talking like two minutes ago. But <laughs> <laughs> we heard go you ahead. say pick and choose. Go. Go ahead. Okay, I put it in the comments. I put it in the comments. I said for a church that says they follow the Bible exactly, they pick and choose. Okay, she like sounds like a robot said. again. Like, you know, they say, oh, we need to keep the... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we get we get what you're saying. We get you, we get you Jeff. So, um... Does that they're the only church that follows the Bible? Yeah, they, I mean, they, that's what they that's what they preach, right? That they say yeah. that's their big that's their big uh, that's their big saying. You know, we follow the Bible one hundred percent. Well, maybe yeah. not so much. You know, I think um, I posted a video on my Instagram about a man by uh, Dr. James White, who is a teacher on Hebrew and Greek, and he pretty much breaks down the word Elohim in Genesis chapter one. And I'm thinking to myself, like, man, let me just take this one clip, like a minute, I think, and I shared it. And for a church that claims to know about the Bible, I don't know if anyone within the church actually knows Hebrew and Greek to know that when the word Elohim is, it, it follows up with God, it's, it's, always, it's always non-plural, it's always one. It's, it's not two. And, <laughs> and so I had to post it, I had to share it, I had to just see what the feedback would be from that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, from my experience, from what I was always told is that when the overseers or um, like missionaries or pastoral staff would go to Korea, they would study Greek and Hebrew. That was a big thing that they said that they were taught. They would study Greek and Hebrew. Um, so that, of course, led us to believe that, you know, they're experts. They're experts in the language, <laughs> you know, in, in translations and stuff like that. But yeah, they're completely wrong. Yeah. They lied again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> again. <laughs> I mean, anyone can say they went to, they studied Hebrew and Greek. Like anyone can say that. That's like an argument out of authority. The moment they say that, at that point, you you feel like you have to be like quiet because now they have like a, they want up you now. Yeah, it's like uh, Kelsey's saying in the in the comments oh. that uh, when Korea is teaching Hebrew and Greek. They yeah. don't even really teach English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can't even teach English. <laughs> That's a really good point. But yeah, yeah. They, they messed that Elohim up. And didn't, if I'm not uh, remembering correctly, that last audio sermon that we heard from On Song Hong, wasn't he talking about Genesis 1.26 where it said God created us and all that? He didn't mention anything about it being god plural or there being a mother god you guys know what recording i'm talking about um, i think yeah. i've seen it i didn't listen to I it i think i've right seen now. it yeah yeah so that would have been a good time for him to mention oh by the way uh yeah. god yeah. that created us there's two of them one's male and one's female he doesn't do that so i thought that was interesting i kept waiting for that part but it didn't yeah so let, let me ask you guys a question i'm sure you guys probably are familiar with the verse i'm gonna like um i'm, I'm gonna throw out Isaiah 44, 6 to 8, Isaiah 45, 5, it says, I am God, I know nobody else. I'm the only God, right? Father and mother. That's how that's explained. That's how explained. <laughs> so, <laughs> even though he says, I'm first, last, I don't know of any other gods. I don't know anyone. And then he says, 
I'm the last person. I don't know anyone else. There's no competition against me. And then you go to Jeremiah chapter one, verse five. He says, I chose you. I formed you. There's no, we formed you. It's I It's singular. I mean, yeah. And they they have it all messed up. They have it all screwed up. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's it, just the way that we were thinking when we we're in the group. It's you could tell it from now. Like it was completely brainwash, complete control and brainwash. Well, what yeah. they say Process. is that the the father and mother that they're one. So when it says I, it's still yeah. they're still the same. They're still one together. So I mean, so that was their excuse. So let me just share a quick story with you guys for you you know, recent members that just came out just to kind of go back a bit. Um, when I first went to church and I'm sure Jordan knows this too, but, um, we thought we couldn't die physically because we were told Passover protected us physically. Mm -hmm. That was very clear. It's so clear that when I was on the plane going uh, to Korea with, uh, pastor John, um, I, I, I distinctly remember me telling him, I said, wow, Pastor, I said, I feel so safe on this plane. And he told me, he said, everyone on this plane can't die on this plane because we're on it. So he knew it was physical. Yeah, he knew, he, he told me it was physical death. We all believed in the church physically, we could not die. I'm sorry. Until, until, let me just, let me just finish this part because Jordan knows this, until we had a couple of people in our church actually physically die. Oh, yeah, yeah. And one of them was Deaconess Turk, you know, Deaconess yeah. Turk. Yeah, yeah. And then prior to her dying, my fruit died. Uh, uh, I brought this girl. Um, do you remember, um, what was her name? Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea. Uh, no, Sh Shauna. And I she do was, remember uh, Shauna. Yeah, she was Asian and she got mm -hmm. ran over by a bus. Yeah, do I do that? remember. I do remember that. So that was on the day of, um, that was on the day of, uh, that was resurrection day or the feast of unleavened bread, one of them. Yeah. Um, and I remember uh, my sister Tammy got a phone call from her husband that she had, she wasn't there and we were worried about her. Um, and we got a phone call that she, um, from her husband that she got killed. And we went and talked to pastor John. We went and told him first, we're all outside gathering. That was resurrection day. We're outside gathering. Um, and uh, pastor John just looked at us and then he was like, he he was he he looked struck too, and then um, he, he we went and talked somewhere else, and it was me, Tammy, and him, and he started saying, "I don't think she took the Passover bread. She couldn't have eaten the bread and, and drank the wine." So my sister <laughs> Tammy, my sister Tammy was adamant. She said, "Pasta, I was on the side of her. I watched her take the wine and eat the bread." And he said, "No, she couldn't have. No, no, Deacon Ron, he, she didn't. She didn't eat it." So he was starting to go around to all the people and and kind of you know plant that seed that. She didn't take the Passover fully the way she was supposed to. Right. And it was just so weird. And that that's was around so 2000, 2010 or nine. It was right around there. And that's when I started really getting weirded out by the church. Yeah, it was like 2009 when Deaconess Turk had passed away. Yeah. And it was, um, she was going through chemotherapy, actually, because she had cancer. And the thing is about her is I was actually best friends with her son. You remember her son, Zerikarn? Of course. Um, I was best friends with him. And his mom was everything to him. Everything. Um, complete mama's boy. I mean, just the sweetest guy. And when she died, they did not have an explanation for him because of yeah. course we were, I mean, at this point I was about to go to high school. Um, he's, he's about a couple years younger than me. Um, he was in shock. He didn't really, um, talk about it much. I didn't really see much emotion from him, but it was pretty sad because he had no explanation. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it was just, that was a tough time for sure, because we were all under the belief that we're just invincible because 
you know, yeah. we, we took the Passover. We took the is bread and wine Passover. Oh, uh, no, he's not in anymore. Um, yeah. Recently, what's pretty cool about it is um, I'm digressing a little bit. <laughs> sorry, but I just reconnected with him uh, probably like oh, a couple, is- couple months ago. Um, sadly, his dad passed away as well. He wasn't in the church either. Stanley. But, yeah, Stanley. He, he passed um, a couple years ago, but um, right now he's on his own. He's on his own, but he's doing pretty good for himself. So, um, but I mean, it's just, it's just for any other person, uh, it could have probably caused a lot of mental damage, you know, losing your mom, especially for someone like that, who was like an extreme, like he was a mama's boy. He loved his mom. Um, it could have, it, it could have, they could have, someone else could have went down a really dark hole, you know, um, you know, worst case scenario, you know, talk about suicide and things like that. I mean, the, the type of mental stress that this church puts on people, um, not even be able to being able to provide a concrete explanation of why you know even though you took the Passover still died. I mean, but yeah. and not only that, also Jordan, just to touch base on one quick thing, I I watched from 2009 to 2011 when I left. I watched the evolution of it wasn't physical because it happened in the church. It wasn't physical anymore. The death it became the teaching became more about it's. You misunderstand if you think it's physical. It's spiritual death. The yeah. Bible refers to. So the evolution took place while I was still in. With the last yeah. two years, I watched that evolution take place, and that's what they do. They change accordingly. Mm-hmm. Can I, can I also try to say something? And you guys let me know if I'm cutting out. You're good. You're good. Okay, cool. Um, so uh, when I was first baptized, they told that, you know, the 144,000, um, we will go to heaven alive, right? And th- they didn't mention anything about a great multitude. And then suddenly, I want to say like around 2008, 2009 is when suddenly we started hearing about a great multitude. And then they started emphasizing that we don't know who exactly the 144,000 are within the church, but we should strive to be the 144,000. And they said, um, the the great multitude will face a physical death. So as, you know, as members started, I mean, I didn't personally see that in Portland or Seattle, but I know it's happening in LA as, you know, some members, they came to die people in order to offset the explanation that, you know, we're, you know, we won't die. Their explanation became like, Oh, well, they're not part of the 144,000. doesn't mean they're not going to heaven, but they're not part of the 144,000. Yep. What is that? The 144,000 are the best of the best who, like, did everything perfectly and will go to heaven alive, not face physical death. Mm-hmm. And the 144,000 oh are, like, God. virgin males, by the way. <laughs> right. Oh, well, they have an explanation for that, too. But Yeah, yeah they have. It, it, it clearly says they're part of the 12 tribes. Nobody's there right. from Benjamin, right? They have, they, a, they have a study about they that, They have a study too. about that. <laughs> they, they say it's all spiritual. It's all spiritual. Yep. That's what they say. That if and it was that really was, the Jewish people, then why are we even, you know, here right now? <laughs> why can't they was, give yeah. spiritual tides then? How about that? Right, that was, <laughs> it was not spiritual, they say. Isn't there a verse, like, I believe in the same chapter or chapter 9 where it says that, and we saw a multitude of people of different languages, different tongues in heaven. So the 144 is totally different from the... That, that's the great multitude. Yeah, the great multitude. Well, yeah, yeah, we so didn't they, learn. We didn't learn about the great multitude when I first joined. It was only the 144,000. Mm-hmm. There was no focus oh, on the I great see. multitude at all because there wasn't 144,000 in the church yet. After that, when people died, then they—that's the evolution. They started teaching more about the great multitude. Those are the ones that physically die. That's that was the evolution I was talking about. 
very well, strange. Yeah, you, can't, right, right. you can't claim that they have so many million members, but only 144,000 of them are actually going to be saved. So that has yeah. to be, you know, yeah. something for everyone. It's a very right? small fraction. Yeah. yeah. It, is. it is. And also, by the way, I was told by Deaconess that we were all in competition with each other for one of those 144,000. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. So how would you really know if you're part of the 144,000? Like, you're not supposed to focus on that. You're just supposed to do what you're supposed to do, and then <laughs> God will work it out. Like a random tattoo in your arm that says you are. No, we're not allowed to get tattoos. <laughs> but you should strive to be one of the 144, but then don't focus on it. Yes. Yeah. Don't focus yeah. on trying. Okay. To, don't focus on that, but focus on it really. <laughs> yeah. You should do everything they say in order to be considered for it. I'm but telling at the you end that. Of the day, but at the end of the day, it's already determined too. So. I'm well, telling you that, that that stresses you out, especially being a member, like wondering if you're 144,000 or or not. I mean that that just puts an insane amount of stress on some people. <laughs> And every time, yeah. like, there's something bad in the news, like, you know, like, I'm sure they're doing this with the coronavirus, but anytime there's, like, a earthquakes everywhere, school shootings everywhere, I mean, any kind of disaster, anything milk bad, they, they, they milk it to say, you know, father's coming so soon, and uh -huh. he can come even tonight, then if he comes tonight, are you prepared? Are you willing to, are you thinking that you're able to stand before God saying, yes, I, you know, I should go to heaven? No. Like, so that's what they always do without missing a beat. Yeah. So let and me show I, you guys a small little story, actually. Um, right. I, I was walking from college back home, and I just so happened to walk through this church. And I said, man, I need an excuse to go inside this church. So I, was, I, I went to the back, and I knocked on the door. And I'm like, I, I really have to use the bathroom. My, my house is like a mile and a half away. I can't wait. So she was, her, she was very graceful. She allowed me in, and I went to use the bathroom. Um, the place looked really nice inside. And... Um, it, right afterwards, um, she said, um, she was something about like, oh, do you know about us? And I was like, no, I really don't know about you guys, but I know you guys have a playground. That's all I know. And so she's like, well, and then a guy came by. A guy came by and, and her, they came by and they brought me downstairs. And I saw a lot of people down there. They all had like really formal uniforms and ties. And I remember the last time I ever wore a tie. Um, and they brought me into a room small little cubby room and i sat down and um they were asking me like so why are you here and i said what well, i have to use I, I had to go use the bathroom um but i said while i'm at it how about you guys just kind of like share with me your beliefs and i'll ask you a few questions now i think uh, um when they were sharing me their stories and whatnot um on home korea i said so jesus came back as this Korean man? I, I thought when Jesus ascended, the angel says, why are you guys looking at Jesus? He will arrive the same way he left. And then another, an Asian guy came in. He was an overseer. And he questioned me. He was like, so what are you doing here? Are you going to be part of our faith? Yes or no? And, and, and I said, well, can I at least ask a few questions? And he said, nope, you got to go and kick me right out. And I was like, well, that's not how you proselytize. So I just felt uncomfortable. I just knew, like, if the only way that I can be part of a church like this is to pretty much commit intellectual suicide, then, then no. I, I got to use my brain, my God-given brain, to, to make sense of it. So, part, of the, part of the problem, which is, an, which is kind of good in a way, but not really, 
is that they're in right now they're in hypersensitive mode um they're they think everyone that's coming in that wasn't invited in is somebody trying to do damage to the church mm -hmm. so they have a lot of like paranoia going on in the mm -hmm. church about that for sure especially um i i kind of want to segue into this the 2012 thing um after ronnie after you left after like diane left then they became like super hyper paranoid after that point um they had like security in in the church like with the own brothers with security security right they had like mm -hmm. uh, the fancy earpiece and all that stuff like, <laughs> it was yeah. that serious they were right. super paranoid about random people coming in or quote-unquote slanders um but yeah just, just i i, I want to talk about and get some of your thoughts and maybe some of your experiences on the whole um 2012 thing because it's a big thing in the church right now they simply just say oh we never taught it we never taught that the world was going to end in 2012 you know like <laughs> what do you guys what do you guys think about that <laughs> um my brother-in-law said it was a misunderstanding oh yeah well i can i can speak on that a bit <laughs> Um, yeah. that was definitely taught. There's no doubt about it. I taught it myself because I learned the study, the 2,300 days and how it added all up and everything. Um, but I don't know if you remember, Jordan, you probably do. You were old enough. Um, uh, Pastor Daniel, uh, Daniel Park. Mm -hmm. So he came back from Korea. He was in Korea for about a month and a half or two months. Remember I was overseeing the church at that time. Yep, we I remember. Sunland church. Mm -hmm. And, um, he when he came back he did a sermon one of his first sermons was he he came back because he went to go um no we're, yeah we were in the sunland church yeah uh, not sunland we were in the uh, reseda church we just got to reseda yeah we just got to reseda and he came back and he said um his his visa was um renewed for five years and he said that mother said was it five years or uh yeah five years he said mother said that his visa will be here longer than we will so that gave us, I remember all of us in the service were like, after service, we were like, oh my God, he just told us pretty much that we're going to heaven soon. <laughs> yeah. And that landed us, like he said, even before 2012. So, because it could happen, it didn't have to happen on 2012. Exactly. But 2012 was the absolute last day. Yeah. That was the last time we'd be here. I, so yeah, he even said it in the service that mm -hmm. we wouldn't be here. Everyone heard it. I'm, it's kind of hard after when it doesn't happen. All the people that heard it, it's kind of strange why people don't come out at that moment. I don't know. I never understood that. Yeah, another example. Um, it was 2012 Ascension Day. Um, we were at the park, you know, the same park we used to always go to run um, yeah. for Ascension Day. And Pastor John was praying and he slipped it in his prayer. He mentioned on this last Ascension Day. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. I remember it's a... That. It's a I opened my eyes and I'm like, hold on. Are you, is everyone else hearing this too? <laughs> Cause the 2012 thing wasn't, it wasn't really taught to like the, the, the fresh members, like to scare them off or anything like that. It was more taught, taught to like the more experienced, um, they're more experienced leaders. So I was really surprised when he really, he said it in a prayer. Um, and I was like, yeah, this is it. <laughs> this is it. I mean, I, I quit football. I quit playing football in high school. I was like all in, I was all in. I was like, uh, yeah, let me let me try to preach to as many people as possible. Um, I wasn't really even focusing on school as much either. You know, I had failing grades, you know, sad to say. But, I mean, this is the type of impact that something like that can have on, you know, everyone in the church. I think Chris Black told me about that. 
Mm -hmm. um, when when he got out, he told me about that same situation. I was like, wow. Yeah, yeah, he said it. He said it. Um, I wasn't. I was baptized in 2010, um, like the middle 2010. So I wasn't taught that study because I think I was a new member. Mm -hmm. But I remember after 2012, the deaconess did tell me that Father was supposed to come in 2012 because that's when Mother was 70. And like I guess like you know how they call Mother Jerusalem, and I guess like Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, and she was trying to like explain it to me. Um, and I remember at time, I think Chelsea mentioned in the comments too, that they would make this like stock up on like water, flashlights, batteries, like just basically like, if there's going to be a nuclear war happening, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you had the same experience too. Yeah. They told you to stock up on at least like two weeks to a month on like food. Um, long johns long johns they, that was a big thing long johns make sure you have long johns uh, <laughs> that, that's what they said <laughs> say that again yeah, said long johns in california where you guys i know right it's like i mean <laughs> look how are we doing now with the coronavirus you could barely survive a week <laughs> i know it, yeah it would, they they really they really push it on people like yeah make sure you're prepared like um you know canned foods and all this stuff and also, one important thing was they wanted to make sure that um, members were well-equipped to be able to keep service by themselves, you know? So that was a big thing that we were taught, like, uh, right before 2012, that you have to make sure you're, you, you have enough oil. You have enough oil in your lamp in order to be able to, you know, keep service by yourself and keep in the faith. And it was just all this stuff was being brought up right before 2012. And then right after 2013 hit, I mean, it was just awkward. It was just this really awkward feeling of just like we didn't really, we didn't really want to talk about it amongst each other um, because it was obvious that nothing happened. Um, yeah. But we just kind of moved on. Um, I remember right before 2012 it ended, um, we the, the the whole sanctuary, like the whole sanctuary in LA Zion, which is not small, it would it would be like almost full. <laughs> of people trying to go like pair up and preaching pair up go in in preaching teams to go out and recruit people because after 2012 then i mean that's you're supposed to have fruit you're supposed to have your fruit prepared and you know be able to present it to to father and mother you know so it was a big it was a big fear-mongering thing going on um i know people who just max out credit cards mm -hmm. sold their cars quit their jobs quit Either school Yep, empty 401ks and just giving away stuff to the church, TVs, um, all this stuff was going on. All this stuff was going on. And just after 2013, um, a flood of people left. A lot of people had left because, of course, they were, you know, and the church would try to say, oh, they're, they were too focused on the date. <laughs> they were too yeah. focused on the date. Well, then don't give the date. Like, don't give a date then. <laughs> exactly. You would think they would have learned from the last, the first two times. I know. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, a very similar, a very, a very similar situation happened with like the Jehovah's Witness in 1914, yeah. when yeah. they claimed that Christ would come back on 1914. And so when 1914 happened, and then 19, uh, 1915 arrived, 
there was like, so where's Jesus? And they're like, I, saw, I thought he was supposed to come back physical. He's like, no, they, he came back spiritually. It's spiritual. <laughs> it's yeah. Spiritual. It's we should make a hashtag and just say, it's spiritual. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the go-to excuse for everything. If, it doesn't, it if you don't know how to explain it, really it oh, it's spiritual. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I have a question. I know that you guys can like, uh, like laugh all of this off now because you're like, past it and everything and it's like woo, a load off but do you ever think that um with them making you know these kind of doomsday predictions that they could ever do something a little bit more serious and yes. like some other cults you know like the jonestown situation where people were just mm. you know committed suicide and that sort of thing yes i, I, I i'm not saying that they are because i i don't you know i'm i'm just putting that out there i don't i'm not saying that they are those kind of people i'm just saying they I think not only them, but any group like this has a capability of reaching Jonestown state. Do you know what I'm saying? Is like yes. all they, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to, cause I know don't want to get sued. <laughs> I'm not saying <laughs> yeah. that they, that they would do that. I'm just saying any group technically has a capability of becoming like the Jim Jones cult in that, you know, enough power. I mean, you could, you, we, we, you said earlier today, right. That in the early days, Ronnie, the, the church wasn't as strict and didn't get as involved in people's lives, but now it's yeah. like outrageous. Right. Yeah. So what yeah. happens is, is that over time power gets to the best or gets to the best of people and it could, you know, any kind of group has the ability of becoming like that. And that's what I think people need to realize. I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't think it, I've always, when I counsel people, even in the past, I've always said it's not, it doesn't, it's not that kind of a, a cult, but definitely um, anything's possible when you see something, uh, you know, uh, uh, evolve like it did, anything's possible. Um, and let's, 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 let's face it. It takes somebody really, really crazy and bold to proclaim themselves as God. I mean, you can pretend to be a, I've pretended to be a cop before when I was young, you know, out on the, <laughs> out at the clubs, but to pretend to be God, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> to pretend to be God is pretty crazy. So yeah, who knows? <laughs> and what's crazy about it is on Sung Hong, I don't even think he even ever thought that he was God. It's now the WMSOG. That's he, you never, know, he, he never wrote it down. <laughs> yeah, he, he never he wrote. consistently claimed in his books. And I know many of the members have not read, you know, the, the books that are on the NCPCOG site, but they should because they're written by the man they claim to be God, that they claim is God. But he never once said he is God. He, he like didn't even say he was second coming Christ. I don't yeah. think like, he was a bad, I don't think he was a bad guy. No. I, I really don't. I, I, I really, think he would I be shocked to see minister. what's being done in his name right now. Yeah. I mean, you look at pictures of him. He's chilling in the pool. He's, you know, having birthday yeah. cakes. He's chilling. Like he's not even like stressing about it right now. Like, <laughs> but now his it's best like, life too. yeah, he was living his best life. But the way the the way the church portrays it, it's like, yeah, he was just climbing was mountains, like, climbing mountains all the time to go preach yeah. to one person. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just wanted to say something really quick about the um. The groups being like Jim Jones and I forgot which other one, Waco, I guess someone mentioned. Um, I've noticed because I've watched a lot of documentaries and read a lot of books about those situations that those incidents seem to happen when the leader is being attacked, right? Uh The leader, obviously, always a malignant narcissist. There has to be one or more at the top. Um, 
when when Jim Jones did that, he was like the they they were almost out to get him. They were almost you know about to pick him up, and he freaked out and became really paranoid. And that's when he had everybody you know commit suicide. And mm-hmm. the Waco thing, um, uh, David was his name, right? Korish. When he, he crush. Right, when he became very paranoid and, and all this other stuff, and when he felt like it was really happening, that's when he flipped out, and that's when everyone, you know, uh, did what he said and started shooting back and all this other stuff. So I feel like it's not it's not the members and their potential. I think it's the leader's potential to become more and more paranoid and to just have, like, a complete psychotic break. And because those members believe that that person is God and, and they do whatever they're told, um, that that's that's where the danger comes. I have a question. Great, great point. Great point. Do, does Mother God know she's being like worshipped? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. No way. She does she believe that she's God? Like, do you think she, she doesn't really say it, think She doesn't say it directly. She doesn't say it directly, but she, I mean, there's I mean, there's no way she doesn't know. Yeah. No. Way. One, one go, example. People go to Korea. Ro- robot again. Robot. Cut that again. In the <laughs> 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 All right, she's cut that again. One, one example. One example is that um, oh she's still talking. <laughs> People go to Korea to meet God in the flesh and then make a video. Yeah, I mean, her. She has a right next to her office. There's a there's a plaque right next to her office titled "Jerusalem Mother" or "Jerusalem." Yeah, so yeah. she knows. Yeah, she knows. She yeah, knows. She knows for sure. Okay. And she never. I mean, man, it's. She does no miracles. Yeah. There's no type of affirmation to her godness. It's just this uh, toss in the air type of thing. It's like, yeah, I'm God, but I can't do nothing. I don't even know your name. I wear that name tag though for me to or know your speak name. English. Don't speak <laughs> or English. Speak English. <laughs> Yet you created all languages, right? Hypothetically. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. She can't do it. it during her own services, from what I hear. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's weird that she never really ever says. She never really proclaims that she is God. It's it's kind of weird how it is. Um, for those of you that were members, um, in her sermon videos, she never really says that she's God, but um, she kind of she kind of throws it subtly here and there. <laughs> Um, and she always refers to um, An Sung Hong as Father An Sung Hong. She never says my husband or anything like that. So it's it's kind of weird in a sense that she never really proclaims herself as God, but she's very well aware. You know, some of us former members, we've even had to purchase gifts for her. You know, we've, uh-huh. we've had to give our own money, you know, to purchase some nice, you know, diamond necklace or whatever it may be, a new handbook with those Korean dresses um whatever it may be so i mean she knows she knows for sure jordan gotta have that bling better buy it for her <laughs> again that's just so we not did. following we anything christ like so, yeah. uh Gross. there's a i don't know help me Hostway, where it is in the bible where a man comes to jesus and he asks jesus he begs jesus to follow him um, and Jesus tells him, get rid of all of your possessions. All your belongings and follow me. All your belongings me. and follow man, me yeah. and as the rich man. And he couldn't do it because it's the rich that, that are the hardest. So. Yeah. 
personal driver. <laughs> She's going robotic. Oh, wow. <laughs> Professor Hawkins. Type it. Type it. Finn Hawkins. <laughs> Is that Professor Hawkins? <laughs> um, well, she said this. She said, um, all right, they say An Sang Hong and Zhang never said that they are God because then we can go around saying we are God. That's what I was told. Um, oh, and they probably quote Philippians where it says that when Jesus says that he took no title or no power uh, on yeah. himself, he came as a servant. So that's there's, there's probably some twisting of scripture there too. I don't yeah, know. most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. Look for yes. look for, for anyone who's still... now because of you, Jose. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, for anyone who's out there still working on oh. getting somebody out. For anyone who's out there still working on getting somebody out, just remember, uh, look for opportunities because there's always opportunities. Throughout my entire time there, there was times I questioned and there was things that made me question. So keep looking for those opportunities for anyone uh, who's still looking to get somebody out mm -hmm. because there are opportunities. There were so many opportunities that if someone had approached me at a certain time in my uh, so-called faith, um, I might have listened a little bit more. For sure. Mm -hmm. um, I see what Kelsey's saying now. So An and um, Zhang Gyoja, the, the way they, the reason why they spoke the way they did um, is because they're supposed to set an example for their followers, their children. So the reason why um, mother, you know, says Father An Sang Hong and sing, you know, praise to him and all this stuff, like do you just set an example for, for their children, if you guys know what I mean. Well, um, the problem with that is in the church, they separate men and women. And when I ask, why do they, because I'm not a member, I'm not a member, but I ask a lot of questions. Um, I ask, why do they separate men and women? I was told that women have roles and men have roles. I said, okay, what are some of the roles that men and women have? Uh, well, women, you know, they may collect the money. Men don't collect the money. I said, well, why don't men collect the money? Well, they just don't because that's not their role. They can't preach or they can't uh, do sermons. I said, women can't do sermons? Yes, women can't do sermons. I said, well, who said women can't do sermons? God. God said that. I said, now you sure? And I, I know where this says, it says it in the Bible, but I just wanted to make sure. You sure God said that? Yes, God said women cannot um, give sermons. I said, but, but then you false. have a mother God. <laughs> but yeah, you have a mother God that gives sermons, though. Oh, no, 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 no. But, 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 but so why can't women give sermons then? If they're if God is setting the example, she gives right. sermons. Why can't right. women give sermons? Exactly. Mm. Right. Yeah. Great point, Patty. <laughs> yeah. A lot of things they contradict. <laughs> it just yeah. contradicts themselves. Like whatever they say, it just comes back around to contradict. You know. Yeah. Their, hey, so what's, their what's the deal with um the church only having Koreans as pastors? Oh, that's that's always that's always how it's going to be. Because the, the pastors get together in a, in a general assembly, and from what I understood, they go over kind of detailed things, and um, it's always in Korean, and it's always Korean pastor. I don't think they'll ever be outside of Korean a pastor because yeah. of the structure. Yeah, I was specifically told that, that only Koreans can be pastors. Yeah. Yeah, and we, I, we were so surprised when they made you missionary, Ronnie. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> You're like I the know. first white missionary that, that was know. in the church. <laughs> I 
Um, I wouldn't have gone any further. <laughs> yeah, you hit the ceiling. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, okay, I see what you're saying, Kelsey. Yeah, they they all um they had, hold on, what is Kelsey saying? Um, only Koreans can be. Oh yeah, because they speak Korean, obvious. Yeah. Um, yeah, they. I know for I know for a fact that um when I was there, Pastor John, he would contact mother um a couple times a week you know, on the phone um they'll be they'll be talking they, they provide re- reports to the general assembly and to mother um so that's what they i guess that's why they only koreans can be pastors <laughs> I, I mean that's the only reason that's a dumb reason well, I mean, you could easily translate no, it's, it's actually you know? but actually it's a blood it's their it's their bloodline because oh they yeah actually, according to the three tribes it's the koreans from from uh from abraham's family they mm-hmm. they showed us a study actually that it was the koreans it was the asian uh culture that was uh i think they represented shem mm-hmm. shem or jabeth i forget which one i think then, it was uh shem and then, then that's where you get into racism in the church yep. i mean they, yep. that they try they to deflect yeah. yeah they believe it well they would uh try to teach us korean manners like mm-hmm. bowing and other things like that and said that that's the heavenly ways the heavenly customs yeah. i that 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 to me just sounds completely foolish because when jesus rose from the dead mary ran to him and gave him a hug and that's when he says um don't hug me not because he didn't love his mother or because that wasn't a custom but because he had a duty he had to do but nonetheless mary still hugged jesus he, she didn't bow to jesus like month. <laughs> <laughs> The heavenly culture. I mean, Jesus should have been bowing two thousand years ago. He should have been bowing down. <laughs> should have been bowing down. Hey guys, I only have um, like seven minutes, so yeah, I'm we're gonna to- we're gonna um, wrap it up here in a little bit. Okay. Um, did, did you guys want to bring up anything else? Um, any other questions? Any short topics we can bring up? Or are you gonna save the abortion section for like next time? Yeah, that's a big one. That's a big yep. one. We're gonna say for next time. I believe next time we're gonna have Raymond um, come join on for that one. He he has a lot of information about that, you know, from when he was in the church. So um, I guess that's about it. I mean, any closing thoughts with you guys or? Yeah, I have one actually. Um, you have one here: divorce and arranged marriages. I just wanted to throw out a thought on that. Uh, is it a is it a possibility that maybe the church uses Americans to marry Koreans so they can get their citizenship? Oh yeah. Okay. No, of course not. No. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a definite. That's a definite. <laughs> that's a definite yes. And yeah, I've okay. seen so I've seen countless uh, situations like that. I mean, they cannot deny that. They can't deny that at all. <laughs> I've seen um, many people like denied marriage. Like even if they were couples that came together to the church and they loved each other and they've been together for a while, if they want to get married, they're like, no, you have to wait till you're arranged a marriage. Yeah. I've seen it so yeah. many times. Mm-hmm. Jordan, do you remember, Jordan, were you, was Justin still there when I, when, when, uh, after I left Justin, he married the Korean woman and they couldn't even communicate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. White, white Justin. White you know Justin. Yeah, I know he's in Chicago right now. Um, yeah, I know, I know exactly who you're talking about. And yeah, I remember. Yeah, we had to translate. I actually, yeah. I would have to go and sit with him to translate uh, and then Deaconess Judy and we'd have to translate because him and his wife couldn't talk at all. So, yeah, yeah it's pretty much uh, for a green card because there was nothing else there. Yeah, I witnessed that myself. Yeah, I remember because she couldn't speak a lick of English. Dude. No, none. Zero. Um, 
I just want to clarify too. I want to get like a definite answer on this, on whether it's a sin or not in, in terms of um, Church of God for a member to marry someone that is not a member or outside of the church. Not that it's, I know of. It's definitely looked down upon. It's yeah. definitely uh-huh. looked down upon. And it's, it's not necessarily a sin. I don't think they want to take it that far. But there, I've seen, again, since I've, I was in for so long, I've seen many situations where someone is married outside of the, outside of the church, and it's definitely looked down upon, um, for sure, yeah. Like, especially if, if, like, they choose to get married with someone outside the church after they've been in the mm-hmm. church, they'll talk bad about them behind their backs and say they have weak faith, and, yeah. like, they don't, I could they don't that. truly believe yeah. in father and mother or have, like, 100% faith in them. Yeah, and also, I, yeah, Kelsey mentioned, um, let's say if uh, someone someone did marry outside the church, then they would lose specific like blessings and responsibilities and stuff like that. Let's say if you were like a unit leader or a group leader or something like that, they would they would demote you most likely for sure. Yeah. Um, anything else, guys? You guys? Uh... Yeah, just really quick on um, what you just said. Like, when you do something that they don't like, they demote you. It's like they're punishing you, like if you were a child. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, they, they, like, you have to take, um, now I'm taking away your um, your game privileges, or I'm taking away your phone, or whatever it is, to teach you a lesson. You know, that kind of, like, retaliation that like they a slap have. on the wrist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. disgusting. It really is. Yeah. Yes, it is. All right, guys. Uh, with that, um, I mean, I'm very thankful you guys came on today. This was a thank you. This is a very great, uh, very yeah. great chat, you know, amongst amongst one another. Um, I wanna, I wanna maybe have something like this again, maybe next week with Raymond on, you know, with uh, with a lot of information that he has as well. So if you guys wanna join in on that one, um, feel free. Um, but for you viewers watching, um, just please understand, like this is coming from our like experience our genuine experience and everyone here can attest to that everyone can attest to that this is coming from our genuine experience we're not trying to fake anything we're not trying to lie about anything we've all been in different parts of the states and we've gone through the exact same thing so just keep that in mind when uh, while you've watched this video and going forward maybe try to do some more research um, about this church and Again, a couple couple of uh, outlets, you know, the examining the WMSCOG website. That's that was a great website for myself to do my research. I'm on Instagram, uh, questioning the WMSCOG. Another great thing, you know, social media tool that is being used to to question, you know, um, things about this church. So, just want to encourage you viewers out there that are watching, whether you're a former member or that ha- that is having trouble, or a current member that is, you know, maybe trying to leave or it's maybe this is your first video that you're watching, um, you know, doing your research. But um, yeah, just encourage you to just um, just know that everything that we've said here tonight, it's just coming from just genuine 